so did you hear me praying? Kind of, barely. Throw something at me next time. That's important. Well, God heard me, and that's most important, I guess. Okay, chapter 10. We started chapter 10 a couple of weeks ago. I want to thank Mike for filling in for me last week. Originally, I intended on trying to do it myself, but uh, as time grew closer, I began to say this is not going to be a good thing. <laughs> so anyway, I appreciate Mike very much for his willingness to step in when needs be. But what we're looking at here in chapter 10 is, 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 remember this, I read this quote last week, and that is that R.C. Sproul makes this statement that Acts chapter 10 is one of the most important chapters in the New Testament, if not the most important chapter in the New Testament for Gentiles like us. Because what we see here in chapter 10 is the swinging open of the door. You know, up to this point, there were some Gentiles all along who were worshiping the one and true God and uh, and everything that encompasses that. But we know, Lord, we know that they were few and far between. But what we're seeing here is this, is, is God flinging wide open the door for the Gentiles now to come into the fold. So it may not be the most important chapter to every believer, but I would say it may be the most important chapter to every believer who happens to be a Gentile which I would say includes pretty much everyone in this room. The passage opens with a very remarkable statement to be made by a first century Jew. Because Peter had, been, had heard and been in, in taught and indoctrinated from birth that only the Jewish people had God's favor. There are a lot of people who believe that. They believe that that's true in the Old Testament. And there really is a sense in which the Jews are emphasized. Israel is emphasized to a great deal in the Old Testament. But not exclusively. There were believers before Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who would be the father of the Jewish nation. Remember Seth, the son of Adam and Eve? Well before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. Remember Ruth, the Moabite. Remember, as we studied just recently, that Ethiopian eunuch. So what I'm telling you is there since it was a door in the Old Testament, but, and it was cracked open a little bit, and there were Gentiles that kind of came in through that door. But what we're seeing here in chapter 10 in this book of Acts is that door swinging wide open. Making the gospel available to Gentiles in a way that it never had been before. Now 
Now, in the Jewish mindset in those days, in Peter's time, and it's still true today, you may not realize this, but, but there is a mechanism that's been established by which Gentiles can become Jews. But in Peter's mindset, and, and this would be true for the rest of the, uh, of the apostles, you know, early on, and we understand that Peter's going through some major changes, major transitions himself in his understanding and theology about everything at this point. But the general thinking in those days is the only way that a Gentile could ever gain the favor of God was to, for them to convert to Judaism. That's what Peter thought. That's what Peter had been taught. So I don't think we really grasp just how challenging and mind-opening these revelations that are coming upon Peter and the other apostles really were for them contrary in a sense to what they had been indoctrinated with their whole lifetime now there was a process by which a gentile could become a jew be a proselyte it's a lengthy process Involved a lot of effort on the per, part of the person doing it, uh, you know, and, and, and this, that, and the other. But see, the problem with it is this. It was completely fabricated by the Jewish leadership. It wasn't scripturally based. It wasn't based upon anything the Bible says about Gentiles. But their intention in proselytism was to take Gentiles and make them into Jews. To in essence convert them to being Jewish people. This is what Peter had believed. This is what Peter had been taught. This is what Peter had been indoctrinated with. So... What is going on here with Peter is a major life shift, a major revelation from God that will change his entire view or perspective on all kinds of things. One of those being the fact that through Christ Jesus, now the door has flung, not just cracked open a little bit, it's flung wide open. That Gentiles from all over the world can, will now be brought into the fold of the household of God. So what is it that God requires or asks of anyone? According to Moses, this is what he said. He says, what does the Lord require of those who would follow him to fear the Lord? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today. These were the words of God spoken through Moses to the Israelites. 
Jesus himself summarized God's requirements for any and everyone in what he called the first and second greatest commandments. First of all, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And secondly, your neighbor as yourself. Things are changed. When Jesus came, everything changed. And not just for a short time. Permanently. I just don't really believe that we understand how remarkable it is for Peter, being a Jew, to make the statement that he does when he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. This was a mind-changing, a life-changing revelation for Peter. Not at all anything that you would expect to hear come from the mouth of a first century Jew. Because they had been taught everything but that. It's important for us to realize that in Christ Jesus, whether it be Jew or Gentile, all the barriers that the world would use to keep us separated from one another are absolutely obliterated. Gender, age, race, economic standing have no bearing on this at all. But it's important for us to understand that through Christ, no one in this room has a greater or lesser standing before God than anyone else. We stand before him on even ground. Desperately needing him. The church, my friends, really is the last place on earth that racism or prejudice should ever be found. Period. You've heard me talk a lot, and, and, and Dick and Barb and Walter would attest to this fact, that there really is a sense of joy that you find in the average Ugandan believer that maybe you not, don't see so much in a lot of us. I've talked about it quite often, and I've thought about it quite often. You know, why? What is it, what is it that, 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 that sparks this joy in these people in a manner that is just beyond your expectation? Do you think it might have be something to do with this? That for millennia, the rest of the world 
especially in regions where Caucasians have been dominant, had considered them to be inferior to everyone else for centuries, millennia. Christ has liberated them from that. Because one of the, one of the principal things that they see in their relationship with him is this is value. They understand that Christ values them to an unbelievable degree, an amazing degree. He's relieved them of this oppressing sense of inferiority that the rest of the world has placed upon them for much of its history. In other words, when they, become to faith, when they come to faith in Christ, they begin to understand things like they really do matter. That they are important enough to God to send his only begotten son into the world that they would have salvation in and through him. Now, would, isn't that an amazing revelation? Wouldn't you imagine for so many of those people? And while Peter was still talking, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. Some of those we would assume were Jews and some of the others were Gentiles. It sounds a lot like what went on at, the, at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles. And we understood that to be an, uh, an empowering act of the Holy Spirit to prepare them to do the ministry that they were being called to do. What I would say here is that there's probably two activities uh, by the Holy Spirit that are going on at the same time. One of those is spiritual birth. Unless you're born again, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. And we know that God is the one who rebirths, it's not us. What the Protestant reformers called regeneration. The other one is empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Spiritually gifting these converts now to enable them to fulfill the ministry that they themselves are being called apart to do and set apart for. I think very often today people misunderstand the whole idea of tongue speaking. Some people believe that it's just a way for God to manifest his presence and even if it's gibberish no one understands what's going on. But that was not the purpose of tongue speaking in the Bible. Tongue speaking had a purpose and it was always to enable someone to communicate the gospel to someone else.
These people are speaking in languages they did not know before. Now, can you imagine? Sitting where you are today, I will imagine most of us can speak reasonably decent English. Some of us can speak some other languages, probably not to the degree we can English. Some of us can't speak any other language at all. But can you imagine suddenly people speaking in tongues and languages that they did not know two seconds before? I was thinking the other day about the, to the Tower of Babel. Remember all the way back in Genesis that they were building the, 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 the Tower of Babel as a means uh, uh, for mankind to reach up to God. Thinking it would honor and glorify him, but God did not like the idea of it all. So what did he do? He confused the speech of people. Why? To disperse them throughout the world, to force them to go. So we're seeing kind of a reverse order thing taking place here. Evangelism requires that people be able to communicate. No communication. No evangelism. We sit here 2,200 years later. Evangelism of the world 2,020 years later, not 2,200. The evangelism of the world continues. There's still unreached people groups in this world. There's still people who will go through their whole lifetime and never hear an inkling about Jesus. From anybody. Let me ask you something. Can you name a single body of people in the whole world that is as diversified as the Christian church is? Is there anything that comes close? In culture, as the world goes, there are all sorts of factors that are used to make distinctions between people groups. Age, race, economic status, gender. While such things are part of the picture, there is to be no separation created by them in the body of believers. Hear me clearly. There is no place at all 
for racism in the church of Jesus Christ. None. No place. People in the church are judged, but they're not judged according to their color or their race. They're judged by their Christian character. Never, ever, the color of their skin. Racism in any form is an affront against Christ himself. What value do we put on people? I imagine most of us put a high level of value on ourselves. Are there any people around you that you look down your nose at? Hopefully not in here. But in your world that goes outside of this church. Most of you have heard about my, my conversion and one of my best friends telling me, you know, I've witnessed to you, I talked with you, but you were the last person on the face of the planet I ever thought would become a Christian. But he did it anyway. We are to be loving people, and let me just tell you, there is no greater, no better way for us to love than to share Jesus with other folks. It's the most loving thing we could possibly do. We should relish, we should desire with great passion the same benefits that we have. Being followers of Christ, that other people would have those same gifts, those same benefits. The evangelism of the world began in these passages in Acts but it continues on today. And it will continue on until that glorious day when Christ comes back. He deserves it. He deserves to be honored and glorified. And there's no better way to do that than 
to be the newly transformed Peter who before, in essence, withheld from other people, some people, particular people, who from this point on will tell anybody and everybody everything he knows. Are we doing that? Do you have any acquaintances that are unbelievers? Do you have deep conversations with any people who are not believers? I can't promise you if you share the faith with someone, they're going to come to faith. Nobody can do that. But the fact of the matter is this, is you never know. You never know how God is going to use what you do. And if we truly love the Lord Jesus as we claim that we do, it ought to be something that we relish, that we want desperately for other people to experience and to know as well. See, there's wrong, there are wrong motivations for evangelism. You need to understand that. And very often, one of the motivations behind it is self-glorification. But all the glory is God's. Every bit of it. Well, let, me, let me just say this to you this morning. Some of you have played a major role in the conversion of other people. Some of you maybe never have in your whole lifetime. Let me just tell you something. If you happen to be one of those perhaps very few people in this room, you are cheating yourself out of one of the most blessed things that would ever happen to you. Peter and the apostles started the fulfillment of that great commission to go into the world with the message of Christ. Continues today. And what a joy, what a blessing it is to be part of it.